Dr. R.J. Rushduni, RR161CN166, Interview with Fred Niles, Australia, from the Easy Chair, Excellent Colloquies on Various Subjects. This is R.J. Rushduni, Easy Chair number 276, October the 1st, 1992. Otto Scott and I are in Australia at the home of Ian Hodge. We have with us the Reverend Fred Niles, who is a member of the New South Wales Parliament. I feel that this is a very important evening and an important tape for two reasons. First of all, although the political center of the world is still the Atlantic Basin. The economic center now is very emphatically the Pacific and the adjacent countries. If California were an independent country, it would alternate between fifth and sixth as the most powerful in the world because of its production. Oregon and Washington, Alaska, would rate very high. So, too, would, of course, Korea and definitely Japan. Add to that Taiwan, Singapore, Australia, and New Zealand, and many another state. And you begin to realize how important the Pacific Rim is economically. It far outweighs the Atlantic. Now, of the countries on the Pacific Rim, the one with the untapped resources is Australia. There are more than a few who believe that a century from now, if the right development takes place within Australia, if it has the right kind of Christian leadership, it could be the most important country in the world. Now, I believe that we have with us tonight the man who can give Australia the direction that will move it in that direction, the Reverend Fred Niles, who has done a great deal to give a Christian direction to things in New South Wales and Australia as a whole. Fred, tell us about yourself and your work, because I know it will be a great uh, source of encouragement to the people in America to know what you are doing and how successful you are. Well, thank you for the opportunity, uh, Dr. Rushdooney. <clears throat> well, I suppose the, the question of where, where it starts uh, goes back uh, a fair way, I, I guess, basically to my own Christian conversion and my own commitment to Christ in a Bible-believing church that certainly laid the foundation as a young man for my life. But prior to that, I had uh, grown up with my father and my, my parents. My father was a taxi cab driver in King's Cross, which is the red light area of uh, Australia. And um, he, like many other Australians, was a fairly hard-drinking, gambling character, so that I didn't grow up with the benefits of a Christian home. And that's why I, I really thank God that, but for the grace of God, I could have gone off in another direction. 
but God has led me into his service. So I felt a very strong call to serve him uh, as um, the opportunities opened. I wasn't too sure how, but it came home to me very much that God wanted me to serve him with my whole life. In fact, my call in uh, when I was about 21 years of age came at about the same time as a number of American missionaries were speared to death in South America. Mm. And I felt God was calling to me, and I thought uh, perhaps God wants me to take their place. And so my call became very much a life and death thing, where God was saying, I believe, would you give your life for me if it meant dying for me? And I thought, well, not as a young man, I wanted to change the world. But if finally I came to that point that if it was God's will, I would give my life to serve him, thinking I might finish up being a missionary in South America or something like that, not knowing I'd finish up being a missionary to the wild natives of our state parliament, who, who some people think are... Uh, have more bad traits than the wild natives of South America. So that's that's the miracle of how God leads a person's life. And so step by step, uh, different doors opened, uh, I suppose, in the church as an ordained minister to do a lot of organisational work in organising Billy Graham crusades in Sydney and other activities. And an organisation was formed in Sydney a community standards organisation called Festival of Light, based on the British model, mm-hmm. a bit like Moral Majority in America, uh, to campaign more vigorously in the main stream of society on moral issues, television standards, uh, the homosexual issue, abortion and so on. So I became the organiser for that full time in 1974. And as we were campaigning, I, I started to learn about politics because I had to go and lobby politicians and that became a very uh, worthwhile apprenticeship because I found out how little, uh, how little notice they took of us huh. as Christians. You know, we would go and lobby them in the parliament, the premier or the prime minister, and they often treated us with scorn, saying no one really agrees with you, it's just your own personal views, you're out of touch with modern trends and so on. And that was fairly uh, discouraging, but it, it, it became a learning experience. And so I said to our committee one day, I said, the only thing these men really appreciate is votes, is the political power. That's the only way we can really make them uh, listen to us. We are like people outside the boxing ring. The boxing ring is the political fight, and we're spectators. I said, somehow we must get into the ring. So we decided to get involved with the political area and nominate some Christians to stand as candidates, and then to say to people, if you want... Christian principles in society, vote for our Christian candidate, then for the party of your choice, because we have preferential voting system. And I was going to use it as a referendum idea, where we get 50,000 votes, we could then go back to the Prime Minister or the Premier and say, look, here's 50,000 votes, that means something, these people do support us. But to my surprise, in 1981, uh, when I was asked to stand as a candidate, I was actually elected to Parliament. So that was a big shock in my life. Well... Uh, you've been very uh, active in opposing the homosexuals here mm. in uh, uh, Sydney. Tell us about the recent parade and what happened. Well, some people are going, and the homosexuals have alleged that we go out of our way to attack them, but the historical fact, as you would know from the, from the United States situation, is that we were facing an attack by the homosexual movement, the so-called gay liberation movement, I call it the sad bondage movement, 
that they launched a campaign with their agenda, their list of demands with uh, recognition as a valid alternative lifestyle, uh, equal rights in areas of employment and accommodation, and also uh, recognition of homosexual marriages, so-called, of two men, and also that homosexuals could adopt children. They were all their list of demands, and I said, as a Christian, we can never agree to that. Not because of my personal attitudes, but, but I believe it was totally opposed to God's will. I've always strongly believed that God in the beginning created male and female, and there was no intention, and certainly not God's will, that there's a third sex, so-called, mm -hmm. the homosexuals. And that's why I believe the Bible is so strong in its condemnation of the homosexual lifestyle, and in fact often the word is used abomination. Mm -hmm. It's an abomination in the sight of God, which means something God hates. And I thought, if God hates it, then I at least should not endorse it. I should mm -hmm. not at least be tolerant to it. I certainly don't want to bring back the death penalty for homosexuals, but I don't believe our society can embrace their ideology and their lifestyle mm -hmm. and teach it to children. So we, we uh, had a very big conflict with the homosexual groups here because they launched what they call the Homosexual and Lesbian Mardi Gras Parade to actually promote their lifestyle through the streets of Sydney in a public way uh, in February. And they've been doing this for a number of years. So we often have a prayer vigil on the night of their big parade where Christians just pray not to physically fight the homosexuals or obstruct it, but to pray and to hope to reach them through biblical messages and, and uh, tracts and so on. But then in October, they have their big march in October. In February, we have our march in October, which we call the Jesus March. And so one of those marches, we actually felt that God would judge our city unless somebody said to God, we want your forgiveness. We want to intercede for you on behalf of the blasphemy and the indecency of this Mardi Gras parade, the homosexual parade. So we decided to march along the same route as their parade and finish up in the same place, which meant us finishing up in the heart of the homosexual ghetto, as they have like in San Francisco and so on. There's a place where many of them live, and they regarded it as their territory. So we marched into that place. They had advertised that we were coming uh, with big posters saying, Jesus is gay and for gays and... Uh, uh, and family and so on. They used the word gay in all their publicity. We had Jesus as Lord and forgotten the family. And so thousands of homosexuals gathered that day and we had uh, quite a, a lot of conflict. But the actual end result, I believe, was good because we had arranged for homosexuals to give their testimony, converted homosexuals, born-again homosexuals. And we had three young men that God had led me to to invite to speak. And they gave very powerful messages that day to thousands of homosexuals who packed around the truck. We had a truck as a stage in, in the centre of the square. So the next year we marched into King's Cross, which is the red light area, and had a big uh, rally right in the heart of King's Cross. And uh, most recently, last October, we had our Jericho Jesus March, where the, the homosexuals, the lesbians, the pro-abortionists, uh, Marxist people actually said they were proud to be Marxists, they must be the only Marxists in the world, uh, who still believe in it, because most other people are rejecting it in Eastern Europe. But they decided to come along, and two or three hundred of them actually decided to physically wreck our Jesus march. So they ripped up our banners, our Jesus as Lord banners were torn up. They physically were pushing the Christians around, so the police had to come and present a sort of a line between the protest group and the Christians. 
And so we still had our Jesus March, um, but the, the very violent protest group kept trying to stop it, so they would physically even lay down the road, on the main road, and the police would say to me, you have to stop your march because they're, they're blocking the roadway. And I said, well, we have a permit from the authorities for our Jesus March. We're not going to stop, so we'll wait here till you clear the road. So there was a standoff. Eventually the police cleared the road. The protesters would move back two or three hundred yards and, and uh, put up another sort of barricade to stop the Jesus March. So we fought our way all around the city. Our march was to go right around the whole city for an hour and a half. So it did become very much a Jericho-Jesus march. The Battle mm -hmm. of Jericho was fought again in the spiritual realm because we were praying for God to knock down the walls of prostitution, of uh, abortion clinics, the porn shops, and so on. That was the spiritual aim of the march. We weren't going to do it physically, but spiritually we were praying for God to do that and to give us victory over these uh, places of Satan in our, in our city. So we again finished up in Hyde Park with an hour and a half of uh, Christian messages and testimonies and praising God with two or three hundred of these protesters uh, jeering and interjecting all through the, uh, the rally. But we always planned them as an outreach rally with testimonies. So we always planned it that the non-Christian will be getting something they didn't expect. So I do believe that it's always had uh, a lot of value and a lot of good seeds being sown in often very hard hearts that don't normally hear the gospel. What was the effect? <clears throat> Did you get much of a reaction from the rest of the people? The people watching it, because we marched right through the city streets, we went through the theatre area, so obviously there were thousands of people watching it. We also make the parade a visible parade. Our Jesus March has a big banner at the front, say Jericho Jesus March, but the Christians carry uh, banners, and I think the in the Jesus um, Jericho march we actually had banners every few yards a very large ten-foot banner which would say Jesus uh, gives victory over pornography Jesus gives victory over abortion Jesus gives victory over homosexuality Jesus gives victory over <coughs> pornographic videos Jesus gives victory over uh, violence and so on so that the public watching it are actually getting a um, a picture message moving down the road with Christians holding these banners but also singing and praising God as they do so it's quite a powerful impact and because of the controversy and the violence brought by the anti-group it's always covered by the mass media so the television reports were dramatic and they were shown all over Australia in fact we even had reports they were showing it on television in New Zealand well, that's well, marvelous I think the it's ironic that the lesbians and gays, as they call themselves, who have been hollering for tolerance, should show themselves so intolerant toward Christians. Certainly, they, they certainly are very intolerant uh, to Christians. And the rights of Christians to parade. That's right. And that's what we said. Uh, we, we believe in freedom of expression, freedom of association, freedom to march, and that that protest by them, which was a violent protest, was an attack on our rights of as course. Christians to have all the things that they demanded they said we couldn't have. In fact they said to me, one of the homosexual leaders said uh, uh, where are you going to have your next march? I said what do you want to know for? He said, Cause he said wherever you go, he said then if you have it in the desert he said we'll be there to stop you. This is a homosexual leader. I said, um, I said uh, to him then I asked his question where can't we go then? 
you tell me the place we can't go if there's some no man's land or out of bounds land he said why I said that's where the next march will be I said if you you challenge us we will march into your headquarters if that's the if that's the challenge you're throwing down the gauntlet saying the Christians can't march the Christians can't be visible in a peaceful march which has nothing to do with you we're not directly attacking you we're just simply expressing our views and our support for Christian values then uh, so be it. And if you claim the university is out of grounds, uh, out of bounds, then we'll, that's where we'll have our next march. So they walked away a bit, you know, with their heads a bit puzzled, wondering uh, what kind of a person was I. Well, this has become a phenomenon all through the West. That Christians are denied the rights of citizens. Mm. Well, I'm sure if these people ever gained political power, they would actually pass laws against us. Uh, they, they certainly have a, a dictatorial, totalitarian attitude uh, and I think regard us as you know, very much misguided fools. So they would, for our own good almost, lock us up or, or take away our rights in mm -hmm. schools and uh, in the community. Well, uh, before we started taping, I asked you if you had the kind of insanity I've encountered in the United States where someone felt that uh, a particular kind of cockroach was an, an endangered species and should be protected. I think people would be interested in your answer as to what's happened here with regard to cockroaches. <coughs> Well, sad to say, almost every trend in the United States is duplicated in Australia. <laughs> and uh, we have exactly the same attitude where people, I'd call them the new ages, mm -hmm. have this uh, fanatical attitude to protecting animal life, mm -hmm. insect life, and even the cockroach life. But the very same people are my main opponents in the area of abortion. I try to close the abortion clinics down, they will oppose me. I say I want to protect the unborn baby, they will oppose me, but they want to protect the cockroaches or the kangaroos or the koala bears. And so one of the politicians who's this new age man who's very pro-abortion, he said, uh, we should protect the cockroaches and we should not allow them to be killed indiscriminately. They shouldn't be killed because he has this idea there's, there's some sort of god in each insect like the Hindus. And so he said, what we should do is have some policy of... Um, Pre pre preventing their procreation, preventing them conceiving and having more cockroaches. That would be kinder than killing them. And so the media had a big headline saying condoms for cockroaches <laughs> to stop the birth of cockroaches. And I thought that's how ridiculous these people can be. And yet they won't see anything inconsistent. We will laugh at it because it's absolute stupidity. But they are serious. Mm -hmm. So that they've passed laws in our country where there are, there are very strict and heavy penalties for killing uh, our uh, natural uh, fauna, such as a kangaroo, but also even heavier penalties for killing the baby of a kangaroo. Yet the same man will support the killing of unborn babies, human beings. So it looks like the human beings are left off the list of protected beings mm -hmm. in our society now. Tell us about uh, your presentation to Queen Elizabeth and her response. Well, we have a, a debate at the moment going on um, where some of our more 
I suppose, radical politicians or socialistic politicians uh, very much against our flag. They want to get rid of the flag. They want to get rid of the Queen. And in fact, our Prime Minister the other day said he wanted to get rid of the Senate because the Senate was impeding his legislative program. Mm. So to me, it sounds like he wants a dictatorship. And uh, I did some study then on our what I call our Christian heritage to see... As a Christian, should I be concerned about these issues? I mean, the flag may have no meaning and the Queen may have no meaning, but as I studied it, I found, of course, our flag has on it four Christian crosses, the cross of St. Patrick, St. George, St. Andrew, and the Southern Cross that God put in the sky. I also found that in our, in our uh, constitutional monarchy, there's a, in, in the modern constitutional monarchy, there's a great deal of uh, Christian heritage which comes from the Puritan period of the Reformation where the coronation service was changed to include the words that the queen or her predecessors as kings and so on could not become king or queen of Great Britain and Australia unless they made an oath. And the oath was that I promise to uphold the laws of God and the true profession of the gospel Mm -hmm. as well as justice and so on. And I thought, well, if the queen makes that kind of promise then I can see some value in her role that we have God as sovereign and under under God we have the Queen as a earthly leader and under her our elected parliamentarian, our elected parliament like your Congress. So I gave the Queen a uh, what I call an address of loyalty where I said to her I'm, I'm very pleased to welcome you to Australia here in February this year and also to encourage you in your upholding of those words of your oath and uh, I didn't know whether I'd have the opportunity to actually present it to her personally but I believe by one of God's little miracles I was face to face with the Queen and actually had the opportunity I was introduced to her to present her with the address of loyalty and a few cynical journalists nearby said what did you give her and I said I gave her this address of loyalty and they said oh she won't even look at that Uh, as if she'd throw it away and that very day a letter was typed and sent to me from the Queen on Buckingham Palace letterheads thanking me for that address of loyalty and particularly said I expressly thank you for the sentiments expressed Mm -hmm. in your writing. So I took that to mean she was referring back to that oath that she made that she would, in spite of all the domestic problems they're having in the royal family with the children, her children, which is not her fault, but certainly she's having problems, that she herself personally would do all that she could to uphold that that she took so I felt that was some positive uh, part of our Christian heritage here in Australia. Reverend David Mitchell told me the other day that the Australian Supreme Court issued an opinion saying that Australia is a Christian country. Well there have been a number of decisions like that because we've had uh, other politicians or, or our political leaders of the radical left have tried to have Australia declared a non-Christian country and a socialist country or even a pagan country and have even advised the United Nations not to list Australia in the category of Christian nations. And so we've been fighting that to get that quite clear in the United Nations that we are a Christian country. We do have a Christian heritage. We do have Christian traditions. And also still all of our parliaments, like your Congress, on the state level and the federal level still start with prayer and the Lord's Prayer. 
which you can't get more Christian than the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's part of our heritage. Now, obviously, not all politicians are Christians. Neither would everyone in Australia be a convert or be attending church. But it is still our heritage, and that's what I'm seeking to address in my campaign, but also hope and pray more and more non-believers will become believers as well. We have an evangelistic role as well, but we should not be discouraged by the fact there are atheists or uh, humanists in our society or communists to say, well, we're no longer a Christian nation. They have to recognise the fact they live in a Christian nation. In 1983, I was asked to come and take part in a, uh, a Christian school uh, trial here in Sydney. And at the time, in meeting with the Queen's Council, I said that uh, the seal and the coinage, older coinage, of Australia tells you the foundation of the country is in the grace of God. Mm. And uh, the older coinage would have the image of the Queen and then Queen Elizabeth Deo Gratia. Then it was shortened to DG and now it's gone. That's right, defender of the faith. Uh, Yes. Uh, And of course uh, the Queen's Council, who had never thought of it, realized that was what was behind the judge in the court mm. uh, where he was holding the trial. It's still on the wall. Yes. Still on the wall, mm. yes. Mm. So the foundation of the Australian Constitution is that it is a constitutional monarchy <laughs> under a clean who personally and whose government, as represented by a parliament, exists under and by the grace of God. Yes. So that is the constitutional foundation of this country. It's very true. Just one quick comment. The previous Prime Minister, Mr. Whitlam, said to the Queen on one occasion, they had got rid of the words defender of the faith. He said, let's remove the words by the grace of God. He said, this is, he's supposed to have said this to the Queen herself. Mm. Let's remove the words by the grace of God. And the Queen turned back to the Prime Minister and said, but that's why I'm here. That's yes. why I'm here. And I thought that was the, the right and true reply. Excellent. <laughs> I'm very glad to hear that. Fred, could you tell us more about the words grace of God? Well, when the Prime Minister, Mr. Whitlam, said to the Queen that those words should be removed, they were no longer necessary, the Queen is reported as saying to the Prime Minister, but that's why I'm here, by the grace of God. And that apparently uh, took the words out of his, uh, uh, stopped him from progressing any further with that argument, took the wind out of his sails, and the matter was dropped. So all our government documents still have on them uh, by the grace of God, the Queen, and also have the words God save the Queen printed mm-hmm. on the bottom, and also in our Constitution we still have the words that all our states come together to form the Commonwealth, humbly relying upon the blessings of Almighty God. That's the opening words of our Australian Constitution. Mm-hmm. So that interwoven into our documents and our uh, parliamentary procedures and prayers in Parliament is a tremendous amount of Christian uh, witness and heritage. Fred, does 
Have you ever analyzed the attitudes or the motives of these people who want to destroy your culture? Do they ever provide any reason and any uh, alternative? Well, uh, some that have uh, been more aggressive have openly stated that they wanted to remove our Judeo-Christian uh, value system and replace it with a humanistic one. That was their action. Um, mm. One of our uh, Labor Party Attorney Generals who became one of the judges in our Supreme Court, or High Court we call it, Lionel Murphy, when he died they had a funeral service and over his grave the eulogy said of this man, never had one man done so much to remove the Judeo-Christian ethic from Australia and replace it with a humorous ethic that was set over his grave. And that man had introduced laws to legalise pornography, uh, had brought in a 12-month easy divorce law called the so-called Family Law Act, which was anti-family. So a whole lot of laws were brought in, which I and other Christians, we saw these as a direct attack on our Christian faith and our Christian value system, but often we could not get the churches to see that. Church leaders would feel it's a political issue. I said, this issue cuts at the very foundations of our Christian faith and value system, cuts at the very foundation of the family, and the churches should get involved. I said, we don't get involved with politics. I said, these men are introducing anti-Christian laws. When will the church finally stand up and say something, even criticise them? These men are introducing anti-Christian laws. When will the church finally stand up and say something, even criticise them? Uh, but on, on many cases it was just met with silence, or even in some cases by liberal churchmen, agreement, because they had no biblical authority, so they went along with the humanist politicians. About 35 years ago I was a pastor in one community where there was a small but very militant group of atheists and one of their top officials was a man who had made it clear that while he did not believe in heaven or hell, he would rather be in hell than with Christians in any afterlife. He died, and they had a funeral service for him, and uh, the city... Uh, gained a great deal of uh, delight and amusement over the fact that the man presiding at the funeral service was an officer in the fire department. Mm. <laughs> you the fires of hell. Yes. Well, I've got one just as good as that. When that chap died, Lionel Murphy, and uh, some of my supporters heard the announcement, and they just said to me, Fred, have you heard the news? I said, what? They said, Lionel Murphy's no longer an atheist. I said, what, you've been converted? I said, no, he just died. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so God has the last word. <laughs> yes, he does. Tell us about your Festival of Light movement. Well, Rush, two movements have grown out of our activities in Australia. One is the Australian Federation of Festival of Light Community Standards Organisations, which is very much like what was the uh, moral majority in America, an organisation, a crusading organisation on moral issues, of which I'm still the honorary national coordinator, and we have officers in each state and members in each state and affiliated churches in each state. Out of that has grown a separate organisation, it's like a sister organisation, 
which we've given the name Call to Australia, calling Australia back to God, back to the Bible, back to the family, which is a political organisation which nominates candidates for the election. So I stood for the elections under the banner of Call to Australia, and the first of light stays out of the political area, again I think same as in America where you become a registered political party mm -hmm. so Court Australia is specifically in its objectives a political party which its number one objective is to nominate Christian candidates who will promote uh, the Judeo-Christian ethic in our society and so on and the uh, Festival of Light is the Morals Crusading organisation which is involved in the day-to-day -day battle on television standards and obscene programs, pornography, prostitution, homosexuality and so on. But they overlap in their campaigning, of course. So in the, in the Festival of Light, we mainly try to influence public opinion. We make one of our main aims to mobilise wholesome public opinion and action for purity, love and family life. So to do that, we try to promote, whether it's Jesus marches, or we visit, or we bring out overseas speakers who are usually well known and will get a lot of media coverage. So over the years, we try to have one a year. We've had people come out to Australia, like Mary Whitehouse has been out three times, three different years. We've had Malcolm Mugridge come out one year. We've had Pat Boone come out and had him involved in this area of family life. Uh, we've had speakers from Denmark, Christian leaders from Denmark. We've had uh, Professor Blakelock, a, a very famous Christian leader from New Zealand who's since died. Uh, we've had a, a range of people who took different issues with maybe television standards or we've had a Dr. Hardin Jones once from California, Berkeley University, who was a very strong opponent of marijuana. So we, we had a, a sort of a campaign dealing with that question of not to legalise marijuana in our state, which we succeeded in blocking moves to legalise it. So the, the Festival Light has uh, been using the mass media and uh, uh, Bible study groups and action groups in local churches. Mm -hmm. The Call to Australia is, is a direct political organisation, which now, of course, takes a great deal of my time because I'm a member of Parliament and I'm the leader of the Call to Australia uh, organisation in the parliament. So for a number of years we were like watchdogs or a conscience in the parliament, a prophetic voice, um, and responding to government legislation. But from 1988 we felt the need for us to initiate legislation. So now we have initiated 12 uh, bills which are progressively being debated and either passed or defeated. For example, we had a very big debate last year on a bill to close the uh, abortion clinics, not the hospitals, but the actual money-making clinics where doctors were becoming wealthy from killing babies. And so we directly targeted them, but that bill, after an intense debate in Parliament, one of the most ferocious debates in Parliament on the pro-life issue and protests outside of Parliament, both by pro-life and, and abortion groups. The bill was defeated uh, and we only had seven members of Parliament, including my wife and I, who voted for it. Some men who promised they would vote for it when the vote came wouldn't and were cowards, even though some of them professed to be Christians. They said they didn't want to vote for it. We've, we had another bill to reduce the... Um, 
promotion of cigarettes uh, in sporting activities that uh, involve children and so on. And that bill, to my surprise, was passed. So I have actually had one bill passed, which, re which was a health bill, which I was pleased to do that. We, the other bills include um, uh, bills to close down or prevent the homosexual Mardi Gras parade. Another one is to give just compensation to the innocent victims of AIDS, that is the people who are haemophiliacs who got AIDS through blood products and other adults who got, and children who got uh, AIDS through contaminated blood transfusions, of which I believe we have, for the ratio of our population, we have more in Australia in that category than America. We have hundreds of innocent victims uh, I heard only last night that uh, a man whose son died of AIDS, a, a haemophiliac, his boy, he said all the haemophiliacs in Australia will eventually die. They've all been infected with the AIDS virus mm -hmm. because the doctors just wouldn't believe it could be transmitted by the blood and ignored evidence. We provide the evidence and they rejected it. So that's a very emotional bill and my wife and I have a number of friends who are dying of AIDS who got it through... Uh, blood transfusions. Quite a few Christians, in fact, have uh, been infected with AIDS that way. Then we have another bill called the Family um, Impact Bill, or Family Commission Impact Bill. That is, we're putting up to Parliament that no bill should be passed, no law should be passed by Parliament until we have a family impact study, in the same way as they have an environmental impact study on how it will affect the air, the trees, the creeks. I've said families are more important than trees and creeks, but no one tests whether a legislation will damage or make it more difficult for parents or for families. So that's a very important bill which we have, uh, we're progressively moving through the Parliament. So that's the sort of positive things that we're doing, mm -hmm. as well as trying to uh, remove n nude bathing from beaches and uh, remove pornographic publications from news agents and so on. There's a lot of those issues which never go away. What, <clears throat> what about the educational system? Well, we're very much involved in the education system in that I've been the main spokesman for the Christian schools in our state and nation, in fact, because there have been very aggressive efforts by anti-Christian politicians to actually close down the Christian schools mm. and at least restrict their opening so that they cannot expand mm. or bring in a rule that where there's a state school within a, a radius of that area mm. then no Christian school can open they brought all these little sort of trick laws in which in the imp the effect of those laws is to virtually make it impossible for a Christian school to start so we've been able to defeat those efforts so the Christian schools are very strong in Australia and growing we've also been very strong supporters of the home school movement again there were attempts to crush that movement and I thank God that we succeeded in getting that uh, written into the new law, our education law, and it's mushrooming that more and more parents, and, and uh, Ian and his wife here, uh, have homeschooling for their children. And it's very successful. And many of our supporters, uh, as a reaction to the immoral and humanistic teaching in the state schools, have withdrawn their children, either into, uh, into Christian schools, but our keenest workers are doing homeschooling, uh -huh. and uh, that's a lot of people in the city as well as a lot of farmers uh, are now having their three or four sons being taught in the home, uh -huh. and their schooling is uh, better than what they would have got in the state school system. So the pressures are still on, though, to crush the school, the Christian schools, and to stop homeschooling. Uh, in fact, the more successful they are, 
of course, the more the enemy will try to uh, restrict them and, uh, if they can, to close them down. So I also campaign, though, that, that our state schools should uphold Christian principles. And I have a slogan in Parliament which I state, and I know it annoys my opponents, I say every state school, a Christian school. Every state school, a Christian school. I said, you made them humanistic, I want them to be Christian. So it's either one or the other. Uh, don't pretend that our schools are neutral. They're not neutral. You're promoting another ideology. Whereas our, our schools, our state schools, our government schools, in which in this state we have a million children in state schools, we have one of the biggest education systems probably in the world under the control of one department. Mm. 70,000 teachers and a million children. Mm. And, uh, and radical union who control the, those 70,000 teachers who promote homosexuality and support uh, permissive material and pornography and so on. They're very opposed to censorship, they say, which means they accept pornography. <coughs> so we do still have the legal right in our state for clergy or the representatives to actually go into the schools uh, once a week for an hour and teach the children of their own religion. So a Baptist minister can go into our state government schools and actually teach Baptist children. They have to willingly volunteer to go to his class or uh, an Anglican minister, Episcopalian can teach Anglican children, or Church of Christ, Church of Christ children, and so on. Of course, that's been expanded now that Muslims can also teach Muslim children under the same rule. We have to accept that, but at least the door is open still for Christians to go into the state school system, and even though there were attempts as late as 88, 1988, to stop that and close that opportunity, we've fought to keep it open, and that's still in our state school system. The reason why it's there is because originally all our schools were Christian schools. The churches started the schools in Australia and handed them over to the state. And so the compromise was, well, let the state take over the schools, providing the church has access to the children one hour a day, one hour a day, that eventually become one hour a week. And they've tried to cut that out as well, but we still have the one hour a week uh, with access to the schools. There's very little other Christian teaching in the schools. We have tried to promote Bible teaching, not theological teaching, but straight Bible teaching in the schools, and some schools do that in the lower age groups, the primary school age groups. I believe you met uh, one of our staff members a while back, Samuel Blumenfeld. Yes, no, I didn't meet him, but we campaigned together yes. right, right across uh, New South Wales and Queensland and had a tremendous response, because again, we have the same problem as America, with all the state school education, children are coming out of school and they can't read. Mm -hmm. They just can't read. The literacy level is actually going down with more children and, and uh, more modern schools and all modern methods of education, but the end product is worse. And uh, I was able to get him uh, into a conference with our Minister for Education in this state, and uh, there was a lady, Mrs Chadwick, and he had quite an made a quite an impression on her, and we've been giving her more and more mm -hmm. material, and she has given us a verbal agreement that the methods that he was promoting will be still retained in the schools, that there'll be sort of two approaches, but not just the one which uh, would ignore his views, but his views will be recognised and I'm sure will be still embodied in the uh, English uh, teaching in our state schools. So it had a very positive uh, impact, his visit. Fred, why don't you tell us the um, results of the investigation that you did on the performance of Christian school children? 
in this day yes. in, uh, in response to the opposition that was coming, especially out of the Parliament, towards Christian schools and Christian homeschools in this state. Yes, well, prior to the 1988 election, the Labor government, which was a socialistic government, uh, at, at, under pressure from their more extreme atheist members, uh, mounted a campaign to literally close Christian schools down and actually had a hit list of the first 14 that would be closed down. And so they introduced a bill to that effect and they were arguing that the Christian schools should be closed down because the teachers weren't qualified, the children were not being educated and they were using chicken sheds for schools. <laughs> All of that was false, but it was very emotive propaganda uh, in the newspapers. So I then got the Christian schools to collect from their computer material the records of the students that had gone through the Christian schools. I said, I want to know uh, how many children have graduated and what they are doing now. I also want to know how many teachers you have and what are their qualifications and so on. And I found, and I, I gave this material in Parliament to the politicians and it, and it shut them up and also led to a, an election that followed just after that where that government was thrown out of Parliament and I think that education issue was one of the key issues that changed the government, that that government was actually voted out of office mm. when, when we revealed their plans and the falsehoods they were saying. And I found out that the Christian teachers from the Christian schools were more highly qualified, had more degrees and were, were better trained as teachers than the state school teachers on the average. I also found, to my surprise and the, and the surprise of the Christian school movement, that out of all the graduates we found that not one of those children, students, was unemployed. Everyone had a job or was going on to further education at the university or in a hospital as a nurse and so on. Not one was on the unemployment list, whereas in our nation we have one million people unemployed out of 17 million population. It's almost impossible to say that not one of those children would be unemployed, should be, but there wasn't one. And, uh, and again, their educational ability was e exceeded that of the state school, so that companies where the Christian schools are operating were literally, truthfully, writing to the principals of those Christian schools saying, we have vacancies coming up at the end of the year, make certain you send to us your graduates, we will hold the vacancies for your students, because we're so pleased with the previous graduates because of their attitude to their work, they're, in, they're uh, industrious, they have a work ethic, they were honest, trustworthy, had a good pr presentation, were able to dress, were able to speak, were able to read, etc. So that's why these Christian school graduates were going mm -hmm. into positions where there'd be other students in that same district who these companies would not employ because they would simply be a load on the company. The company would be carrying that person without any value to the company. So I, I think those uh, records speak... Uh, immensely and prove the value of, uh, of the Christian faith, not just the mm -hmm. Christian teaching, but I believe of when the Christian faith and the Christian uh, ethic and the Christian values of the Bible are applied, they produce good fruit. Good seed produces good fruit. Evil seed, which we see so often in our state schools, produces evil fruit. Well, I think what you have said is very, very important and very encouraging. I think many of our American uh, listeners will wish that you were in the States and they could run you for Congress. Mm -hmm. 
how have the uh, other parties reacted to what you're doing? Well, there's a range of uh, attitudes, I suppose. There are some... Um, well, during that Christian school debate, when they were trying to close the Christian schools, one of my main opponents completely lost her temper, a socialist lady, and screamed out, you are the most dangerous man in the parliament. <laughs> so I thought that was some sort of compliment. Yes, I was complimented like that once. So uh, <laughs> if, if you want to know what some of the politicians think of me, that's, that's how, and sometimes I'm abused uh, up front. Sometimes I'm called uh, names. I remember one day the leader of the, of the opposition, the Labor Party, attacked me in the parliament. He was trying to... Uh, discredit me and he was accusing me of being a hypocrite and I suppose for a Christian that's the worst mm. uh, criticism and uh, he was hurting me and even though I try not I try to have a thick skin but I, I the one thing I can't cope with is being called a hypocrite I want to believe I'm doing God's will and I'm doing it sincerely and as we walked out of the parliament uh, he finished up walking beside me and he said the same man said to me Fred you look a bit upset I said, well, wouldn't you be upset if I said those things to you that you've just been saying to me? And this leader of this other party, the other party, put his arm around me and said, uh, Fred, there's nothing personal. That's politics. When you showed me the chambers of parliament the other day, you pointed out that it had once been a church. I think it is very fitting that uh, it should be so. It was once the house of the Lord, and we hope and pray that as a result of your efforts, Parliament again will be the house of the Lord. Well, I certainly agree with that. I was very impressed when I found out the building was a church. I thought it was a mm -hmm. joke, but I checked historically that it was a church, and I believe the Lord prepared a house for me before I was elected, and my seat became my pulpit, and my parish became the members of Parliament. But I also agree with you that Romans 13 teaches that the government is God's servant. Yes. That all the members of Parliament, and I remind them of this every day, I said we are here not as servants of the parties, but that we are here as servants of God. God is sovereign. We should be seeking to do His will. We should pray earnestly for God to guide and to direct us every day and seek to do His will to obey God, and that means policies that would then be for the true welfare of the people because God knows what's best for His creation. Yes. Well, thank you very, very much. Well, our time is up. Thank you all for listening, and God bless you. Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by ChristRules.com.